The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past, and it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. Today, we're with Consulting Success CEO and founder, Michael Zapersky. We appreciate you joining us, and thank you so much to our listeners for tuning in. The purpose of today is to provide you actionable insights, tips, and ultimately stories for you to become a more successful negotiator, entrepreneur, wherever your journey's leading you towards. And I know you're going to get an immense amount of value today, so I encourage you to listen to the whole show with Michael. Sneak peek, Michael's going to share a little bit about how to eliminate or minimize negotiations altogether inside your sales process or your procurement process or any sort of conversation that you're having that might be difficult. So without further ado, Michael, please introduce yourself and briefly share what experience you have in negotiations as the CEO and founder of Consulting Success. Yeah, great to be with you. Uh, thanks for having me there, Shane. Uh, start off by the, the, the most experience I have with negotiations are with my two daughters uh, and I'm constantly losing those. So I don't know how much value I'll be able to provide here for, for everyone. Uh, but yeah, I've been building consulting businesses for the last 21 years. Uh, 13 years ago, we started Consulting Success, where we help consultants to really build profitable and scalable and strategic consulting businesses. And so that's our whole focus is really helping people to realize their full potential and, uh, and build successful consulting businesses. Fantastic. Well, I know that there are a lot of consultants listening in on this show, people who are uh, either eager to learn about what it means to be an entrepreneur or ultimately uh, already an entrepreneur and doing well in their businesses. So uh, what you mentioned about uh, your daughters being great negotiators, kids typically are the best negotiators. So I, I agree with you on that. Some say it's uh, just a genuine curiosity that makes them powerful negotiators, right? So that's it's interesting that you said that. And also you're a very humble guy. You had, You just came out with a new book on consulting success and what the future of consulting looks like. And um, I think that there's going to be a great deal of value uh, shared. So let's let's dive in. So we're talking about today how to minimize or eliminate sales negotiations altogether when it comes to price. And you mentioned that your daughters are great negotiators. So what does it take to ultimately eliminate or minimize difficult negotiations when it comes to pricing when it might be uncomfortable? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, so if I kind of just use the, the imagery for a moment of, or the story around my daughters, the, the reason why they, they can win negotiations so effectively against myself and my wife is because of what they've done before and their connection to us. Uh, if I was meeting a kid that I've never met before, uh, they could you know, make their best attempt to negotiate with me and they might still win, but they wouldn't be as successful as my daughters are. And it's because of the relationship that I have with them. And, and what they mean to me. And for all of us in any walk of life, you know, or especially as an entrepreneur or and business owner or business builder, uh, I think the area that is not talked about enough, and this is the big opportunity, is what you do before you actually enter into the negotiation. So rather than just focusing on how to become more effective at the sales conversation or look at you know, tactics and ways to persuade uh, and to, to get someone to kind of negotiate or win that negotiation, I'm a very big fan of focusing on, on pre-sales, uh, taking steps before you actually have a conversation with someone to demonstrate 
great value to add value to that relationship uh, so that when you actually begin the conversation, you don't have to sell. A, a lot of the selling has been done. The person that you're speaking to, the buyer, already understands or has a, a good grasp of your expertise, your authority, and has already received a lot of value from you. Uh, and so when you compare that dynamic to just jumping into a conversation with someone who doesn't really know what you do or doesn't see great differentiation in what you do compared to another alternative in the marketplace, then you're really a commodity. But if you can position yourself as a, a distinct and, and unique source of, of value, of truth, kind of position yourself as a trusted advisor, where you've given a lot more value, where you've taken steps to demonstrate value, then when you at, uh, engage or begin that conversation, the focus doesn't have to be about selling you and doesn't have to be about demonstrating your expertise. All that has been done before. So then you can just really figure out and focus on their unique challenges, their goals, their situation, and how you can essentially offer them what they want. Wow. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. So it, it sounds like building trust is ultimately the foundation to have the conversation focus more on the value that you're providing rather than the actual price that it that someone is paying. Is that right? Yeah. And I'm really, I mean, to just kind of clarify here, I'm talking from the perspective of a consultant or anyone offering a high value product or service. Uh, if you're selling candy, right, there's a lot of different approaches that you could use to, to do that. Uh, and what we're talking about here may not be most relevant for that. But if you're selling something that is, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars, uh, then this approach will, will work really well. And what I'm getting at is, if you're talking about how do you uh, justify a price? How do you essentially spend less time to negotiating price? Well, the best way to do that is to clearly position yourself as the, the top, or at least one of the top people in the industry. Everyone knows that experts or specialists or people that have achieved great results they can earn significantly more. If you take, for example, the brain surgeon compared to the family doctor, there's a reason why the brain surgeon can earn significantly more. It's because they're solving, in most cases, a harder problem to solve, right? They are positioned in the mind of the marketplace as an expert in their, you know, in that marketplace. And so people are, they don't, you never go to a brain surgeon, hey, I need brain surgery, but can you charge me less, right? That doesn't happen because people need that solution. And so likewise, if you are a consultant, if you're in professional services, if you're an entrepreneur, then if you spend time up front before you engage in a conversation, before you think about sales, if you spend time demonstrating your value and really positioning yourself as an expert in the mind of the buyers or of the marketplace, then when they come to you, they're not going to try and negotiate around price as much because they see you as one of the best that there is. And they already know that you can provide a great result because you've demonstrated it either through uh, content, case studies, videos, podcasts, whatever it might be. And so they don't need to think about price because in their mind, they can already see that the value that they're going to receive, the return on investment will be significantly greater with you than it will, than it will be with alternatives. Right. And so there, so there are many ways that you can position yourself as someone who 
is a thought leader as someone, and that's very, uh, it seems cliche nowadays to say thought leader. I would say it's almost like you're describing someone to position themselves as someone who basically knows what they're talking about, is passionate about what they're talking about with specific and tangible results. That way it's very clear when they're having a sales conversation, how they can ultimately help the person that they're communicating with. Thus, the more specific you are in the sales process, typically the less room there is for any sort of discussion about, you know, the price of this brain surgery being deducted, right? I think that that's an extreme example, but it's really applicable. So, uh, you know, you mentioned podcasts, you mentioned case studies. Uh, now that we know that one of the ways to stand behind and create value and essentially minimize negotiations in the sales process is to be a trusted advisor. What is the single greatest way, in your opinion, to become a trusted advisor without maybe putting in that much time or effort? Yeah, I mean, so I think that's an interesting question, but it, um, likely the, the answer to that will, will not make people happy. And it's because th there isn't really a way to shortcut becoming a trusted advisor even using the word trusted advisor is not something that you can just say. You know, you'll see people call themselves, oh, I'm a trusted advisor. That's not something that you call yourself. That's something that you earn. And you earn that in, in two ways, typically. Uh, number one, you've created great trust with the buyer, with the client, so that they actually feel like, you know, they have, there's high level of trust there. And the second is that you deliver great value consistently. When you do those two things, when you can help, when you've partnered with somebody, when you have a great relationship that is built on trust, built on value, they're coming to you because they really value your opinion, respect, you know, your, uh, your viewpoint. That's when you can really kind of feel that you are a trusted advisor to that client or to the clients that you work with. But I think if we take one step back just for a moment, Shane, and we talk about value, there's four ways that people can really think about uh, communicating value. The first would be that you just do great work, right? If you do great work for a client, right away, you are delivering value. The second is that you can uh, receive a referral. If someone introduces you, right, you're receiving kind of that, that value is being transferred from them to you because you don't have to talk about how great you are if you're receiving that referral or that introduction. The third is to ask great questions, right? If you are in a sales conversation with someone, you can ask really deep, meaningful questions that that other people haven't thought to ask, or they just don't know to ask. Many people in sales conversations will ask the same questions as everybody else. They're very surface level questions. But if you show and you can demonstrate that you really understand their industry, their situation, you ask questions that help them to think about things or see things they've never thought about before, or they've never been asked before, they will start to associate value with you. And so that's a really powerful way to differentiate yourself from others who might be vying for that, that buyer's business is through deep, meaningful questions. But all of that assumes that you already are in front of an ideal client, right? That, that you actually have the opportunity to have a conversation with them. So the fourth way is really, what can you do if you haven't yet had a conversation with a buyer? And that now takes us to content, right? Specialized content that really positions you as an expert, as an authority, uh, specifically being relevant to your ideal clients. And so the first part of that is to get really clear about who is your ideal client, to understand and to empathize with what are their challenges, what are their frustrations, right? What do they actually care about? What do they desire? What outcomes and you know, value and results are important to them? And then be the source of value that just consistently puts out, whether it's articles or podcasts or videos or webinars. And, and so to your question, you know, what is the best way? 
There is no one best way. What I would offer to people is to think about, number one, where do your ideal clients go to get information? So if your ideal clients hang out on, on Facebook, if they're on Instagram, if they're on TikTok, uh, then go there. But if they are spending their time in industry associations, then you should be spending your time getting in front of those industry associations, uh, providing webinars or writing articles. So first thing is figure out where do your ideal clients go to get information? Where do they hang out? And that's where you want to be. That's where you want to begin by investing you know, your, your focus, your attention, uh, your resources. And so it might be LinkedIn, but there is no one way because you want to figure out different people consume content in, in different ways. What I would suggest is that people think about two factors. The first is, you know, what kind of content do your ideal clients like to consume? So if you're targeting an 85-year-old demographic, you're probably not going to do webinars, right? I mean, at least like pre-COVID, you wouldn't have done that. Maybe now 85-year-old, you know, uh, grandparents uh, are, are hip to Zoom and things of that nature and doing webinars. But you have to figure out what type of content does your ideal client consume? And then the second part is, where are your strengths? So don't try and compensate for weaknesses, lean into your strengths. If you're great as you are, Shane, at asking questions and like really engaging in conversation, then a podcast would be a very powerful platform. If you enjoy being on camera, do videos and upload them to LinkedIn or other platforms. If you don't like being on camera, but you're great at writing, write articles. So find your strength, lean into that, and then crank out more content that just positions you miles ahead of anybody else. And it's content that is very specific to what your ideal client wants. That's how you start to really move up and position yourself as whether you want to call it a thought leader, an expert, an authority. Those are the steps to take. Hi, I'm Kevin Kanaki, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at the American Negotiation Institute. Did you know our company offers completely customizable negotiation workshops? The negotiation and conflict resolution skills that your team will learn from these workshops are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly, and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. Also, be sure to check out our YouTube, LinkedIn, and Instagram accounts to see our daily negotiation content. Thanks for listening. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Wow. All right. Fantastic. So I feel like we are inhaling decades of experience as a consultant and CEO. So we're going to break it down one by one. That was incredible as far as positioning yourself as someone who is extremely valuable. And you said there are four things, doing great work, ultimately getting referrals, asking great questions, and then also 
putting out content that's relevant and applicable to people who you want to work with, who you know you can help. So the great work piece that I feel like people are great at. A lot of the people who are listening, you're listening, you're already doing great work. You're, you're wanting to improve yourself by listening to this podcast, the referrals. So let's start there. You do great work, which ultimately leads to referral. Practically, if you wanted to ask me for a referral right now to work with someone who you knew that you could help, how would you ask that? What would you say? I, I would ask you. <laughs> I would just say, you know, I, I, would, <laughs> I would say, Shane, here's what we've done together, right? Here's the work that we've done together. Um, and I've really enjoyed working with you. I'm looking to work with, uh, you know, a few other or a couple of other uh, consultants in our, in our program to help them to do these things. Do you know any other consultants? And the whole thing about referrals is, first, you have to ask, like um, Jay Abraham talks about this, that he, he'd be giving, um, you know, presentations uh, and speaking in front of big conference rooms. And he'd ask whether it's real estate agents or whatever kind of industry and profession, what, you know, what percentage of your business comes from referrals? And the majority of people's hands would go up. But then when he asked, uh, what percentage of you have like an intentional specific strategy and approach that you actually use consistently to generate referrals, almost nobody's hands go up, right? So referral is one of these things that most people, when they think the word referral, they think passive, they think people reaching out to them. And that's great. But the first thing that I would encourage everybody to do is if you know that referrals can be a big part of your business, which for most people, they should be, if you do great work, you should have an intentional plan. You should have mechanisms in your business, uh, whether it's as part of your, you know, your onboarding, your client kind of engagements or something you do after, or somebody on your team does it, but you should have a specific approach that is part of, you know, your, uh, your engagements with clients that you do consistently over and over and over again. And when you do that, you'll start to see that you start to get more referrals. You start to receive more inquiries from people saying, oh yeah, my friend, Tony or Sarah, whoever it was mentioned that they've been working with you. So that, that would be the first thing that I would do. And I, you know, it's, you can create fancy scripts and nice wording. And if, you know, if we had more time, I'd try and be a bit more creative with that here with you. But I think the most important thing is just to ask. What most people don't do is they don't ask. They're not intentional about it. So if you want more referrals, first of all, be very clear about what kind of person do you want more referrals. And I'll, I'll share a quick story on this. So many years ago, I was building one of our businesses in Japan. I came back to Vancouver and I'll, and I'll never forget. I've wrote about this in one of my books. I, I went down to the, um, the Pan Pacific hotel, which is right on the water, kind of the, the ocean, the waterfront in Vancouver. And I went into an, uh, one of the offices there. They have a hotel, and, but also a bunch of offices. And I met with a, a very successful uh, private equity investor. And I had received this introduction through somebody that I knew. And I sat down with him and we were talking. He was very nice, beautiful office overlooking the, the ocean, sunny day. And uh, he said, so Michael, like, how can I help you? And I said, well, yeah, I'm looking to work with more business owners and help them with marketing. And he's like, oh, okay, great. Uh, like, and that was it. Like he, he didn't even know how to help me. And I walked out of his office going like, what went wrong there? And I realized what went wrong is I essentially asked him to do all the work. Like I was not specific on who I wanted to actually meet. And so it would be the equivalent of going onto your computer and searching, like typing the word uh, file to try and locate like a specific file that you want. It's, it's so much work for your computer. Like it has to scan every single drive. But if I, and I went, what I did is I went back to him after I sent an email and said, Hey, thanks so much for today. You know, really enjoyed the conversation. I was thinking more about your question. Here's the specific type of person. And at that time it was technology companies that are looking for 
you know, four more leads at a certain size, certain kind of, you know, demographics and all that. And after I sent it to him, he said, here's three people you should talk to. So I made his job a lot easier because he didn't have to scan in his mind every single person he's ever met. He just actually narrowed in on a very specific type of person. So if you're looking for more referrals, the more specific that you can be about the type of person or organization that you want to get into or that you want to receive a referral to, the easier it will be for that for the person on the other side to actually give you that referral. Yeah, absolutely. I love that your suggestion for more referrals is to get specific and to just take a chance by asking. And it makes me think about practically how to do that. And one thing that I know that uh, has been successful in working with consulting success and then also just testing things out and experimenting with is doing exactly what you said, like asking, hey, um, I know this isn't a fit for you right now, Michael, but do you think maybe this is a fit for someone in procurement like Tony XYZ, whoever, whoever it is? Like, So you're doing the research, you're putting just like the 30 seconds that ultimately most people don't do into the ask that could make or break whether or not they respond to the actual referral ask. So that's so interesting that one of the ways that you can essentially be more valuable in the process is to simply by just ask. And I think that's really powerful. Now, for those people who um, aren't necessarily clear on like who they should be asking referrals for, like what, what advice and wisdom can you share for people who are essentially attempting to discover who they should be working with most? Who are they are best positioned to help? Yeah, I mean, you, you always want to focus on the, the ultimate decision maker. Some people believe they need to start kind of lower in the organization and work their way up. Um, I've always found it's best to do the exact opposite, to get go as high up as you can into the organization. The person actually has the ability to say yes, the person who actually can make the decision. Um, you know, it's much better to be delegated down from them and say, hey, you know, you actually need to talk to our marketing manager or our CFO or whoever it is, and that to receive that so that when you then go to the CFO, they now, you know, they know the president is the one that said that you should have that conversation. So you're already kind of receiving a referral, right? But this time from the president. And so this is all establishing value, right? It's helping you to establish a positioning in their mind. And now back to your like original kind of topic, which is how do you work so that you, you know, set things up so you don't have to negotiate around price? Well, it's all about value, right? The more value that you can position, the more that you can position yourself as an expert, uh, as, uh, as you know, a real reason for being there to have that conversation, uh, then they won't need to negotiate as much around price because, well, the president just refer you down. doesn't mean they're not going to ask for discounts or deals. People will. But the, the more that you can do that, right, to start off high, uh, it, ideally get the, the actual decision maker, that's what you want ultimately. So you might as well start with that. Worst case scenario is they'll delegate you down. But if I decide to kind of, you know, kind of circle around the, the key point here, it's if we talk about how do you position yourself so that you don't have to negotiate around price, it all comes back to value, the more value that you can deliver and the, the more that you can do that to differentiate yourself between what others in your industry are doing. So call them competitors, call them alternatives, whatever you want. Uh, the, the less you'll find that people actually um, try to negotiate with you, the less they'll ask for discounts. It doesn't mean that it won't happen, but number one, it'll happen less. Number two, when it does, you're gonna feel much more confident to say no because you'll have a lot more other business or you'll have already taken the steps to position yourself at that higher level. And so you have more confidence in the sale uh, conversation and the buyer also has more confidence that you can actually deliver, which is what they want. 
I love this so much. I love this so much because what you're talking about is pipeline. You're talking about options and in negotiations, I think what you're describing is options are power. They give you more ability and more confidence to ultimately say, no, this is the value that we both agreed upon a couple of weeks ago. And you said would ultimately impact your organization or your business. And I just find that so fascinating, but maybe for people who are listening that don't have a massive pipeline right now, or a lot of customers to speak to, what advice do you have for someone who wants more pipeline, but doesn't right now? Yeah. So it's always good to reverse engineer. And if you look at how do you win a high value engagement, it always happens you know, when you have a conversation. So a lot of people will spend time thinking about marketing and different social media and tactics and tools and this, this, this. But at the end of the day, you have to have a conversation. So I just always suggest people focus on having more conversations. Get clear on who is the decision maker, right? Who's the ideal client? Make sure you have messaging, messaging that will resonate with them. Uh, you know, have collateral, whether it's case studies or articles, things that will demonstrate your value and that you can actually do what you say you're going to do, but focus on having a conversation. And the, the first step in that is to go after low hanging fruit, which is typically networks or your network and referrals. The more connections that you have, the more, you know, strong, bigger network that you have, the more referrals that you can get and introductions that you can get into your ideal clients the better. So start with that. That's a low hanging fruit. Once you have that, then the next step is to identify who beyond those people, like who, you know, call them third degree connections, people that you don't have a connection to, but they're people that you feel you could help. And you want to reach out to those people. And if you have the right messaging and you have the right materials that convey and provide value and demonstrate value to your ideal clients, then you'll find that people will become responsive. And it doesn't necessarily happen after one attempt or two attempts or three attempts. But Shane, as you know, right, when you're persistent and you're consistent, people will start to raise their hand and say, yeah, okay, let's have a conversation. And then when you have a conversation, you can actually validate what their issues are, what the opportunities are, how you can add value. And that now leads to an opportunity to provide a proposal or to talk about next steps. But I would encourage people, you know, not to get lost in all the kind of shiny objects and all the different tools and you know kind of tactics that are available to us today. Always ask yourself, what is the most direct path that I can take right now to have a conversation with my ideal clients? And that's where you should focus your energy because the more conversations you have, the clearer you'll become on who is your ideal client. You'll be able to validate whether the person you thought you was an ideal client is. You'll become clear on your offering. Is your offering what they really want? You'll get clear on their problems, right? Their challenges, the outcomes, the like the results that they care about. All of that will help you to strengthen your marketing and to make your pipeline, you know, stronger and stronger as you move forward. Absolutely. And I'm thinking of other ways as you're talking on how to essentially fill the pipeline and essentially capture attention of people who you want to talk to. And you are absolutely right. Finding the low hanging fruit and finding a commonality with those people that ultimately might not be a commonality that they have with other organizations is something that I think can really essentially supercharge the ability for you to have the opportunity to have that conversation. But by no means uh, should a conversation not have a purpose? And I think that that's really important. Uh, whether you're entering a negotiation 
or just a introductory conversation around how you can help them. I think having a clear purpose and a clear goal behind the negotiation, behind the, the conversation that you're having is super important. And so um, for anyone who is looking to set goals and thinking about what goals they should have as they approach halfway through the year now, what goals are you setting in your business and what tips do you have for setting goals looking ahead when it comes to gaining more sales conversations? Yeah, I mean, so we always um, have goals and a plan for the whole year and then we break it down quarterly, monthly basis. Uh, and we just, you know, on our, we have a weekly team meeting and we'll look at our scorecard where we list the key kind of metrics that are important to our company. And we'll review those. And if we're on track, then fantastic. If we notice that something goes up significantly, we want to know why so we can do more of it. If we notice that something has, has dropped down, we'll ask why did that drop down so we can take corrective action to, to get things back in order. But I, it's important that you have a goal, right? That you have clarity around what does success look like for you? Uh, many people don't have that or they're not clear on that. And then, you know, when they don't get the results they want, uh, no wonder. So, First, get clear on what does success look like for you, break that down. And there's a process that if you want, we can go over to kind of to do that. But it's important that you know your destination, that you know what the target looks like so you can actually aim for it. Because otherwise, you'll spend a lot of time in busy work, right? You'll think that you're making progress because you're taking a lot of action uh, or you're doing a lot of things. But if those aren't the right things or if they're things that are actually a distraction from the ultimate goal or the, or the, the real activity that can get you much closer to the success that you want. That's why having a destination, that's why having targets and goals clarified uh, is really important. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just like going on a road trip, right? You have somewhere typically in mind of where you want to go. And when I'm thinking about American Negotiation Institute and our goals and everyone listening who has goals as well, I think about the single greatest thing that I've learned over the year from you, Michael, which is imperfect action. What is that? Can you define it, please? Yeah. I mean, imperfect action is really all about taking action when you know that it's not perfect, right? Uh, oftentimes people will hesitate. They'll delay taking action because they want things to be just right. Uh, whether that's updating the website or creating that pamphlet or that marketing material, or, you know, waiting for the rainbow to come outside. Like they're, they're waiting for something. And that, that something is an excuse because there's fear, right? There's concern of, well, what if I take this action and it doesn't work out? Or, or what if somebody says no to me, right? So there's always a reason that's holding them back. But what I've found really and observed to be most powerful is that when you take action, especially when you take imperfect action, you actually become successful much faster. You, you can reach your goal much faster because you're able to validate. You're able to take the beliefs that you have and find out whether or not you're on the right path and on the right track. You could spend, you know, days, weeks, months, years planning and strategizing and, you know, thinking that you have everything just right. But then when you get out of the gate and put it in, you know, put your idea into the world, it might flop. And so the most successful people that I know, Shane, are those who may not have, you know, the best education. They may not have as much experience. But uh, when they begin, and they certainly don't have all of the information, like they might not be the most knowledgeable. And you might look at some of these people and go like, he's huh, like, why, why is he so successful? Or why is she so successful? Like, they're not that smart, but they're, they're successful because they take action, 
right? They get, they get as much information as they can in a fairly efficient manner. And then they go out and they validate. And they know that they don't know everything. They know they're probably going to get knocked down, right? They're probably going to get kind of like punched in the gut a couple of times, but that's all part of it. So as you take action, you start learning. And then when you learn more, you start to feel more confident. And when you feel more confident, you take more action. And when you take more action, you make more progress. When you make more progress, you get more results. And so it's this cycle, but you have to start it. And so if you wait for things to be perfect, you're not going to feel confident because you're not taking action because you're not learning what works and what doesn't work. When you take action, even if it's not perfect action, you're a little bit closer to understanding what does or doesn't work. And that leads to more confidence, which leads to more action, which leads to more progress, which leads more to more results. Well, you're putting me in the mood to go run a marathon right now. You're pumping me up. So I, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I think it's, it's so, so interesting because there is an element, I think that we can all relate to that's paralysis analysis, where we overanalyze things that probably don't need to be analyzed as much as they actually do. And so this imperfect action, if there's anything that you take away from today's show, I hope that you take away uh, Michael's definition of imperfect action, which basically means doing something regardless of whether or not it's perfect or not. If you're listening and that you're thinking about this, like this is your sign to go take action. And so I want to give the listeners the ability to specifically take action and support you and your wonderful team at Consulting Success on your journey. So what is a great way to support you, your new book, and also Consulting Success as a whole? Yeah. I, uh, first of all, thanks, Shane, for everything that you're doing here. And I've been, been a real honor to, uh, to watch uh, as you've been taking these steps through your journey and the success that you're having. Uh, so thanks for having me on. But yeah, I'd love to offer um, a free copy of my most recent book, The uh, Future of Consulting, uh, How to Turn Today's kind of opportunities into tomorrow's business advantage. Uh, and if you go to futureofconsultingbook.com, uh, so it's just kind of all together, futureofconsultingbook.com, uh, you can get a free digital version of that book. Uh, and if anyone wants to kind of dive deeper into the world of consulting, uh, we have some of our best articles and resources that we've combined kind of into a, a, a one, it's a 47 page guide. So it's pretty in depth. And it comes with some emails where I share my story of building consulting businesses. You can unsubscribe at any time. But if you want that, go to consultingsuccess.com forward slash blueprint. All right. Fantastic. Future of consulting. Very excited. I imagine. Future of consultingbook.com. Future of consultingbook.com. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you, you for it. sharing that. And uh, free copies are available. So that's fantastic. And again, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we look forward to hearing everyone's imperfect action that they put into place after the show. Take care, everyone, and have an amazing day. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.